Barry Howard Minkin author of Brainwashed. America's Cultural Revolution. The UC system continues to downgrade the value of its degrees and reputation by continuing to look for ways to accept and finance students based on race sex and national origin over merit. The latest attempt by the Devisti and victimization extortionists to lower standards is the asinine agreement to no longer consider SAT and ACT test scores for admission to the University of California system. This act of stupidity is comparable in the damage it will cause in academia and society as the UC Berkeley idiots that voted for elimination of the Sproul Clause which promoted objectivity and in the classroom a balanced approach in lectures. That vote now allows racist idiots to spout their one-sided personal anti-American anti-white male, anti-Semitic venom unchallenged and poisoned academic discourse in once great universities. Moreover, Hyphenated courses and majors in such idiocy as black and women's studies are this generation's equivalent to other worthless courses of the past. They should be as valuable and serious as degree in chocolate donuts. But instead those with these majors are becoming the latest snake oil sales force selling complete bullshit packaged and labeled as critical race theory, systemic racism, and equity fearful eunuchs in business, government and academia. The spineless UC Board of Regents and college administrator monoculture need more people like Ward Connerly a black man who was not afraid to speak up against failed and dangerous racism against whites, Jews and Asians whether it is coming from bio professors or the millionaire racist anti-Semitic Marxist black KKK aka the LM cesspool. Years back, the University of Michigan's own expert studies confirmed that the value of ethnic diversity is slight, the university was just trying to get a racial mix for its own sake. This is illegal. Why should an individual be required to give up a chance to attend a state-run school solely because their skin color is not right for the current racial mix? Thankfully an appeals court struck down an admissions plan that resulted in a 15-year-old white girl being denied admission in favor of lower-scoring black and Hispanic students. It should be made clear that school officials lack the authority to assign students by race to achieve a desired racial mix. To remedy growing racism against whites and favoritism for blacks, Michigan voted for Proposal 2, which would add this language to the state constitution. The state shall not discriminate against, or grant preferential treatment to, any group on the basis of race, sex, color, ethnicity or national origin in the operation of public employment, public education, or public contacting. Tragically, these words, which were once the foundation of the civil rights movement and our country's laws, are unacceptable to the civil wrongs puppet masters, who spent $3 million in their unsuccessful attempt to defeat the measure by using sick ads like this one on Detroit radio. If you could have prevented 9-11 from ever happening, would you have? If you could have prevented Katrina from ever happening, what would you have done? On November 7, a national disaster headed for Michigan, the elimination of affirmative action. And on November 7, there's only one way to stop this disaster, by voting no on Proposal 2. When will young people stop being puppets of the left-wing and the civil rights con men, and realize that their naive support of affirmative action will negatively impact their lives and generations to follow? Why bother continuing an illegal, immoral, and divisive program when the educational testing service expects college enrollment to swell over the next 15 years with black, Hispanic, and Asian students accounting for 80% of the growth? Indeed, for the first time in history, public school students in the U.S. are majority-minority. Since whites are now the minority in our schools and discriminated against in admission, should they be made a protected class, and be given all the racial preferences currently offered to other former minorities? Dummying down our universities. Education officials worry that the minority newcomers will not be sufficiently prepared for the rigors of higher education. 
How do the NAACP and other minority organizations like the University of California Latino Eligibility Task Force respond to the fact that blacks and Latinos don't perform well on college board tests? They employ the part of the great con I call the color the facts or myth of bias strategy, which again highlights the differences between whites and these protected groups. The con, as you have learned from the business examples, goes like this, first they hire an expert booster, who they know will support their position. The expert then prepares a slick statistical presentation of the obvious. Scores for blacks, Latinos, and American Indians were drastically lower than those of whites and Asian Americans. They then play the victim card and present a series of lame, illogical excuses for the poor performance of minorities that would be laughable if the problem wasn't so serious. For example, the director of the Princeton Review attributed lower test scores by minorities to stereotypes that result in a self-fulfilling prophesy, Minorities' fear of tests resulted in their avoiding them, waiting until the last moment to prepare, and not preparing adequately. Thus, the NAACP wants the importance of the college board tests reduced, rather than having minorities compete fairly with other students, who cared more, studied longer, and got better grades. Grade inflation. Another reason the minority establishment wants to abolish testing is that exit exams rightly expose grade inflation as a cruel hoax. Just ask Shanika Bridges King. Being valedictorian, it didn't mean anything, she told about her time at Bryn Mawr to the Boston Globe recently. As part of a series of exposés, reporters spent a year tracking down the city's public high school valedictorians from the mid-2000s to learn how their lives had turned out. I didn't understand anything I read. I didn't know how to write. I felt like I was disabled in this elite environment. Yet Bridges King graduated at the top of her class at the English High School in Boston. Her statement is upsetting, yet not really surprising due to an all-too-common problem at low-income high schools nationwide, inflated grades that wrongly and harmfully signal to graduates, even valedictorians, that they're ready for college. I felt like I wasn't prepared to be there, claimed Jose Barbosa, who attended Boston University after finishing at the top of his class at the Jeremiah E. Burke High School, also in Boston. I was massively unprepared, said a valedictorian of East Boston High School and recipient of a full scholarship to Northeastern University. I felt like Hyde Park High School did nothing, really, to prepare you for a school like Boston College, according to a valedictorian of the engineering school in the Hyde Park Education Complex. The sad fact is that America's high school education is broken. Over the past year, stories have cast suspicion about the stratospheric graduation rates reported in several states including Alabama, California, Georgia, Florida, Maryland, Minnesota, New Jersey, Texas, and Washington, D.C. According to a September 2018 Fordham study rising high school grade point averages have been accompanied by stagnant SAT, ACT, and NAEP scores. That's true just about everywhere in America. In North Carolina, the median grade in affluent high schools in 2016 was a B. In less affluent schools, it was a slightly lower B. Pressure to boost graduation rates and grades is often due to school accountability policies but so do complex motivations that range from being a popular teacher to concern for the future well-being of struggling students. It's these impulses that lead to the misplaced belief that lowering expectations, for blacks and other non-achieving minority students, is a victimless misdemeanor, perhaps a socially just, noble act. It does not however, improve the education of young blacks to be awarded unearned diplomas. Indeed, Grade inflation continues to degrade societal norms when these unqualified students are given a backdoor for getting a college degree. To get students who academically don't belong in college through the system, most schools offer courses like black or feminist studies. These worthless brainwashing courses are increasingly being pushed on all students. 
They are taught by radicals that hate America and teach the many reasons to hate successful non-handicapped straight white men, those who had to get ahead by merit not skin color. A degree majoring in chocolate donuts has more credibility and value than these hyphenated courses aka bitch sessions. Their schools are lying to them and us about what they've accomplished. This most harms the most vulnerable among them, and it needs to change. Yet the hot air policy winds are blowing the other way. The easiest way to check inflated grades is via external exams, but states run by spineless blue state eunuchs, fearful of the divisity and victimization extortionists, are rushing to get rid of those, and colleges are pushing to make admissions SAT optional. That might help the children of privileged parents who are pushing for their children to look even better to the admissions teams at the colleges from which they'll almost surely graduate. But it won't help poor and minority kids like those valedictorians in Boston. These kids' dreams are being killed by naive liberal kindness. The bias of low expectations. Those who need color and sex to get ahead, rather than merit, need to continue to want to lower standards to change competition in their favor. Their accomplishments on the left in academia, business, and fake news would have us believe that a chain of failure has continued for blacks uninterrupted and is caused by slavery that came to our shores 400 years ago. Therefore, we should continue to have low expectations and treat blacks like special needs children. Like so much the brainwashed believe however, this too is not true. As Thomas Sowell, a black man, has pointed out in his article Patterns of Black Excellence, there is a tradition of black achievement that dates to well before the civil rights era. From the post-Civil War era to the 1950s, pupils at some leading all-black schools in Atlanta, New Orleans, Brooklyn, and Washington, D.C., more than held their own against white high school students. This was despite rundown facilities and fewer teachers in some of the schools. Soul credits teachers' high expectations of black students for these scores, rather than bowing to the excuses for poor performance, as is often the case today. As in the past, it is better not to lower standards. Studies show that black students from low-income families benefit dramatically from schools where standards are set high, more personal instruction is involved, and teachers are held accountable. This was the conclusion of a report issued by the Education Trust Organization. The group took a close look at 366 elementary and secondary schools where students performed above average on math and reading tests in spite of poverty levels that qualified them as Title I schools, eligible for federal assistance. The success factors included teachers and staff who were held accountable and increased time allotted for reading and math. The mismatch effects. The so-called mismatch effect happens when a school extends to a student a significant admissions preference, sometimes because of a student's athletic prowess or legacy connection to the school, but usually because of the student's race. The students find themselves in a class where they have weaker academic preparation than most of their classmates. Students who would flourish at, say, San Jose City College or Sonoma State, instead find themselves at Stanford, where the professors are teaching to the middle of the class, introducing terms and concepts at a speed that is unnerving even to the best prepared student. Predictably, unprepared students fall behind from the start and become increasingly lost as the professor and their classmates race ahead. Grades on tests and papers put them at the bottom of the class. Worse, the experience may well induce panic and self-doubt, making learning even harder. Now assume that you and other students who joined you at the bottom of that class are black and everyone else was Asian or white. This only reinforces the stereotype that blacks are weak students. Giving small preferences to blacks are not much help in admissions. But contemporary racial preferences used by selective schools, especially those extended to blacks and Native Americans, tend to be extremely large, often amounting to the equivalent of hundreds of SAT points. At the University of Texas, the typical black student receiving a race preference placed at the 52nd percentile of the SAT, the typical white was at the 89th percentile. In other words, 
Texas is putting blacks who score at the middle of the college aspiring population in the midst of highly competitive students. This is the sort of academic gap where mismatch flourishes. And, of course, mismatch does not occur merely with racial preferences, it shows up with large preferences of all types. Research on the mismatch problem was almost non-existent until the mid-1990s, it has developed rapidly in the past half-dozen years, especially among labor economists. To cite just a few examples of the findings. Black college freshmen are more likely to aspire to science or engineering careers than are white freshmen, but mismatch causes blacks to abandon these fields at twice the rate of whites. Blacks who start college interested in pursuing a doctorate and an academic career are twice as likely to be derailed from this path if they attend a school where they are mismatched. About half of black college students rank in the bottom 20% of their classes, and the bottom 10% in law school. Black law school graduates are four times as likely to fail bar exams as are whites, mismatch explains half of this gap. Interracial friendships are more likely to form among students with relatively similar levels of academic preparation, thus, blacks and Hispanics are more socially integrated on campuses where they are less academically mismatched. Given the severity of the mismatch problem, and the importance of diversity issues to university leaders, one might expect that understanding and addressing mismatch would be at the very top of the academic agenda. But in fact it is a largely invisible issue. With striking uniformity, university leaders view discussion of the mismatch problem as a threat to affirmative action and to racial peace on campuses, and therefore is a subject to be avoided. They suppress data and even often ostracize faculty who attempt to point out the seriousness of mismatch. See, for instance, the case of UT professor Lino Gralia, who was condemned by university officials after he observed that black and Mexican-American students were not academically competitive with their white peers, we believe that the willful denial of the mismatch issue is as big a problem as mismatch itself. A powerful example of these problems comes from UCLA, an elite school that used large racial preferences until the Proposition 209 ban took effect in 1998. The anticipated, devastating effects of the ban on preferences at UCLA and Berkeley on minorities were among the chief exhibits of those who attacked Prop 209 as a racist measure. Many predicted that over time blacks and Hispanics would virtually disappear from the UCLA campus. And there was indeed a post-209 drop in minority enrollment as preferences were phased out. Although it was smaller and more short-lived than anticipated, it was still quite substantial, a 50% drop in black freshman enrollment and a 25% drop for Hispanics. These drops precipitated ongoing protests by students and continual hand-wringing by administrators, and when, in 2006, there was a particularly low yield of black freshmen, the campus was roiled with agitation, so much so that the university reinstituted covert, illegal racial preferences. Throughout these crises, university administrators constantly fed agitation against the preference ban by emphasizing the drop in undergraduate minority admissions. Never did the university point out one overwhelming fact, the total number of black and Hispanic students receiving bachelor's degrees was the same for the five classes after Prop 209 as for the five classes before. How was this possible? First, the ban on preferences produced better matched students at UCLA, students who were more likely to graduate. The black four-year graduation rate at UCLA doubled from the early 1990s to the years after Prop 209. Second, strong black and Hispanic students accepted UCLA offers of admission at much higher rates after the preferences ban went into effect, their choices seemed to suggest that they were eager to attend a school where the stigma of a preference could not be attached to them. This mitigated the drop in enrollment. Third, many minority students who would have been admitted to UCLA with weak qualifications before Prop 209 were admitted to less elite schools instead, 
those who proved their academic medal were able to transfer up to UCLA and graduate there. Thus, Prop 209 changed the minority experience at UCLA from one of frequent failure to much more consistent success. The school granted as many bachelor degrees to minority students as it did before Prop 209 while admitting many fewer and thus dramatically reducing failure and dropout rates. It was able, in other words, to greatly reduce mismatch. But university officials were unable or unwilling to advertise this fact. They regularly issued statements suggesting that Prop 209's consequences had caused unalloyed harm to minorities, and they suppressed data on actual student performance. The university never confronted the mismatch problem, and rather than engage in a candid discussion of the true costs and benefits of a ban on preferences, it engineered secret policies to violate Prop 209's requirement that admissions be colorblind. The odd dynamics behind UCLA's official behavior exist throughout the contemporary academic world. The quest for racial sensitivity has created environments in which it is not only difficult but downright risky for students and professors, not to mention administrators, to talk about what affirmative action has become and about the nature and effects of large admissions preferences. Simply acknowledging the fact that large preferences exist can trigger accusations that one is insulting or stigmatizing minority groups. Suggesting that these preferences have counterproductive effects can lead to the immediate inference that one wants to eliminate or cut back efforts to help minority students. The desire to be sensitive has sealed off failing programs from the scrutiny and dialogue necessary for healthy progress. It has also made racial preferences a force for economic inequality, academically well-prepared working class and poor Asian and white students are routinely passed over in favor of black and Hispanic students who are more affluent as well as less well-prepared. The way racial preferences affect student outcomes is only part of the story. Equally relevant is the way the academic community has proved unequal to the task of reform, showing great resourcefulness in blocking access to information, enforcing homogeneous preference policies across institutions, and evading even legal restrictions on the use of preferences. All of this makes the quest for workable reforms, which are most likely to come from the Supreme Court, both more complex and more interesting than one might at first suspect. Much of my research about the mismatch issue came from an Atlantic article The Painful Truth About Affirmative Action. Why racial preferences in college admissions hurt minority students, and shroud the education system in dishonesty. By Richard Sander and Stuart Taylor Jr. Black Studies Around the time of Malcolm X's rule, black students on college campuses were demanding classes that focused on black history and minority studies rather than the traditional white version of history. This has made it difficult, if not impossible, to reverse the brainwashing going on in our schools or to fire the professors that are using these worthless programs as bully pulpits to pump their delusions of grandeur and one-sided anti-American extremist views at the expense of basic education. In high demand by our public-supported colleges are former Black Panther criminals and left-wing radicals who, as professors, inculcate our impressionable students with their distorted views of history, making them social justice warriors heroes against the man. This educational system, which makes heroes out of criminals, encourages some of our best college athletes to make gang signs on national TV after winning championship football games. We were recently treated on TV to an overpaid Ivy League professor dressing like a pimp in support of his brother Harry Belafonte's right to call the President of the United States the world's greatest terrorist. Going backwards. It's much easier to get ahead based on skin color over merit and hard work. With the assist of the bias of lower expectations, lowering standards, great inflation, social indoctrination instead of math and English skills, lack of performance accountable for unionized teachers, failing black education needs to find more excuses than white privilege for going in reverse at full speed. The device cancer has spread down from our Ivy League schools to the Ivy Prep schools. 
This will make it easier to mold the next generation of students into brainwashed zombies. The facility of the once prestigious Dalton School in NYC has proposed a list of idiotic, racist recommendations including, dropping high-level academic courses by 2023 if the performance of black students is not on par with non-blacks, requiring courses that focus on black liberation and challenges to white supremacy, overhauling the entire curriculum reading lists and student plays to reflect diversity and social justice themes, and hiring 12 full-time diversity officers and multiple psychologists to support students coping with race-based traumatic stress. Isn't sad to see how quickly my dire predictions about our children's future are coming true? The puppet masters hiding behind a curtain labeled social justice will be quickly bringing their racist freak show to your community.